0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Keeper podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight it's really a big, big pleasure because I have Ivo Yorgov together with me. Hi, Ivo, how are you? Hey, Gregorio, very well. Thank you so much, and you? Very well, it's really a pleasure because I am super thrilled to start the discussion with you. You've wrote an outstanding book. The name is The New Customer Experience Management. Why and how the companies of the future address their customer needs proactively. This is an outstanding book. Congratulations and I'm super happy that we are going to discuss that. Thank you so much, Gregorio, and thank you
1: for having me with you today. I feel like I'm in an excellent company, really, with the, with the top customer experience professionals such as yourself
0: and your audience. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. And that's not the first time that we are collaborating because we were also participating together to the last customer experience war game and outstanding experience that we shared together something for a charity purpose. And therefore, I think, and I really i uh, been thankful that you were part of this game and you were really a great contribu- contributor. But now it's time to learn a bit more about you. You are also a top player in, in customer experience. Perhaps, could you quickly share your highlights from your career that brought you to this phase of writing a book?
1: Sure. Uh, I think it all started probably 15 years ago. Uh, my background is it was initially mostly in market research, so I was working for, uh, for a market research company. And even back then, I was also involved in other studies like brand and uh, concept and product testing and so on. But I also happened to land in the customer experience field um, 15 years ago. And, I, and I, t- to be honest with you, I really loved it because I feel like it's it's one of the few fields in which you do kind of win-win you create win-win situations so the company wins and the customer wins and I really really love that um and then I changed a couple of uh, a couple of companies before joining gemseq I think 11 years ago now uh and at gemseq I was initially again also involved pretty much in in running research studies for some of our clients and then I became the the leader of this team and now I'm the managing director of of um, one of the managing directors of the company.
0: Not bad. I think this is a career that is really uh, brilliant. Congratulations! But now it's time to learn a bit better about you. Which values drive you in life? I think,
1: Gregorio, I'm going to go with... uh... Learning is definitely a, a huge part of me and my life and kind of what I what I like to stand for. And learning really in all you know in all aspects of life, you know. <laughs> I I strongly believe that yes, it's it's kind of a common saying these days. But our learning doesn't doesn't stop when we exit university, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and I feel that we all of us can really do a lot if we if we try to be a little bit better every day. So learning a little bit from the others, just basically what you're helping us to do with, with your podcast, for example, and and learning new things. And I'm a huge fan of also of exploring kind of territories that I don't know, like. Couple of years ago, I pick, picked up doing photography, for example, and that told me that told me a lot about uh, telling stories, for example, because it's uh, at the end of the day, photography is about storytelling. I mean, you can see one picture, but it's another thing if you do like 15 pictures. So how do you how do you fit this in a? In, in a framework, as we discussed uh, in the conversation below. I'm going to say learning. I like to learn new things. I like to learn from from what they do in academia, for example. I don't shy away from that because I think it's it's really brilliant work that has been done there. Uh, and I, I, I feel that as practitioners, as business leaders, we can really learn a lot from that. Uh, by the same token, it's it, it's kind of I'm also driven a lot by by taking actions you know to to improve certain things uh this kind of agility and that's why also how I also try to to work within gemseq if I if I see something that is wrong let's let's try and act and and, and change that and I encourage people at gemseq to do both of these things as well uh, so to have a kind of a learning culture within the organization which we learn from from basically everywhere and connect insights from everywhere but by the same token, to to apply them into action. If something is wrong within within the company, we go and change it. And I I, and I like to work the same way with with clients, for example. So it's I'm going to say yes, learning and knowledge, because at the end of the day, we're also in the knowledge business, you know, helping helping people do stuff better.
0: But I think if I connect what you said, uh, agility, action, and learning or learning from academia, we can. Take these three words and understand why you wrote this book, because I think this book that you wrote can be perhaps used in future in academia to learn about customer experience. But let's deep dive into into your book, The New Customer Experience Management. Um, And there is one word that I think it's really interesting, The New Customer Experience Management. Perhaps can you tell us more about the companies and the leaders of the future?
1: yes of course uh I think initially and by the way you're absolutely right about the motivation to write the book yes at some point I was like <laughs> you know i I kind of felt the need of because we we do a lot of projects with clients and these things tend to to stand to, to stay a little bit separate unless you connect them into a, into a common framework and that's why what I really tried to do to do in the book simply because it's you need something to organize your your thought I think and and I felt at some point that that's that's a Kind of problem let's say challenge uh for me so how does uh, how does everything that we do fit together uh, and that's what I try to do to do here um and really the backbone of the of the book is probably a single sentence you know that the sale is just the start of it because oftentimes I feel like companies what they do is they do the sale and then they then they detach from the customer and that I think especially in the in this world in which you have um Kind of uh, self-serve software, for example, and stuff like that. you cannot do that because at the end of the day, companies think that you know they create value by providing the service or the product. but the reality is, as we all know, that it's the customer who creates the value. unless the customer actually works with the service or or the product. There is no value that is created. It, it could very easily be that a product just sits over there in my in, in my kitchen and gathers dust, and that's it. And th- there is no value created in it. So what I think is that the the kind of the, the companies of the future work very actively with with their customers to, to 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 create value with them. So it's not not about creating value for the customer; it's with the customer. And that's what really the, the can, this kind of partnership approach that you have with customers, you know. And we talk about a lot about empathy and all that, and and that's all good. Um, but I think it's it's more about the actions really, because I can have all the empathy in the world, and if I don't actually translate that into into stuff that I do with someone, it it's gonna mean very little. So yeah, uh, and I, if I maybe can give you one example that I well, I was researching the book. Um, I read a blog post by a guy who's. I, I've quoted him in the book, but basically he was saying, you know, I was I was watching a movie together with my friend because their Amazon had this service in which you can broadcast to two people simultaneously. So they they both watched the movie at the same time. He was like, you know, the 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 the, the broadcasting wasn't really good, um, so we couldn't actually watch the movie together. But he was like, yeah, okay, fine, I just dropped it, and he was like. Two days later, Amazon sent me an email and they say, Hey, we know that the broadcast wasn't really good. Uh, so here are your three dollars back. You know, and he was like super surprised simply because he wasn't expecting that. It wasn't a big deal at the end of the day. But, but but as he concludes at the end of his story, you know, all this loyalty for $3, you know, because he told the story, I'm telling you the story, and I tell, told the story in the book, and all this costs $3. It's it's nothing really. But it's about the mindset of you know I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna help the customer. You know it's not it's not about it's not about just selling the thing. It's also about knowing whether the customer is happy with it and if he's working with with or, or she's working with the product. Sorry, that was a very long answer
0: to, to to a short question. But I think that's that's what I really like and also the audience like. It's the passion behind what you're doing, what you've wrote. If somebody is watching the video, we we see you laughing and explaining this this uh, this example. It's outstanding, and I think with this example we can really learn because what you are saying it's something that we are also facing. We we bought something in in Amazon. It was fifteen dollars or something like that, and then uh, it, it came out. No, the 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 guy that should get that already had this 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 gadget, and therefore my wife tried to resend it back, and she got two options. Options number one: send it back and get a complete refund on her credit card or the second option is she can keep that and give it to somebody else and she get the refund that she can only use in amazon and she started telling that to me she went today to work She, she explained that to other people and at the end the real thing—it's behind that. It's the fifteen dollars are not so much money, yeah. but it creates a story behind that. And for Amazon, it would be much more expensive to get the, the 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 gadget back and resell it because they need to check it, control it, and sell it again. And therefore, it's it's these are great stories. And you mentioned at the beginning also storytelling. This this is extremely important. I really like and uh, what you said about proactive. And perhaps could you please share? your proactive and personalized framework philosophy that that you are sharing in your book?
1: Yes. Uh, well, the whole idea actually be, began with, you know, the, the, the realization really that companies need to stay engaged with customers after they have made the sale. And I think there are, basically two things that they can do at this point. They can either, you know, motivate and educate the customer. So work with them, you know, to, to remind them that they have the product, to teach them how to make the, the most out of it. And then the second thing is products and services sometimes go wrong. So at the, they can also fix customers' problems. So I think once you have delivered basically the product or the service, these are the two options that you have. A company can advise you or motivate you how to use it or how to make the most out of it, and then they can fix any problems that they have uh, that, that you have with it. Uh, and I think really this proactive and personalized element comes from in in legal practice they have the term stealing thunder. So the stealing thunder from the from from the other party is like admitting basically that you have done something wrong and it works they do it because it works there are a number of studies that show that that it works and there are a number of studies academic research which shows that yes being proactive and calling the customer and telling them i i know that you have a problem it's it's our fault and we're going to fix it for you and this approach works much better than waiting for the customer to give you a call which you then need to fix because at this point what happens is that first you have received a call so that's already time and money and second, the customer feels like he needs to flag something. So that's already a problem for, for them. Well, if you do it, it's much easier because you feel like someone is taking care of you. And again, that's that's another, we talk about empathy and all that. Very good. but And that's what empathy means, basically. Me calling the customer to tell them, I know that you don't have internet. Internet, I don't know why I always have this example of internet because I feel like Internet providers know at any point whether I have internet at home or not. Do I really need to call them to, to, to tell them that I have a problem? Uh, probably not, you know. And with all the smart devices and all of these things, these things are knowable. It's 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 within the, it's within fully within their control. Amazon knew that the broadcasting wasn't really good at the end of the day. Uh, and I think it's best if companies do this in a kind of a personalized manner because it's me using the product, I probably have a different problem or I, I need a different kind of help with that uh, and, and so on. So it's, you need to do it kind of in a personalized way because one way to help customers you know, solve problems and, and to educate them, of course, is to have frequently asked questions on the website. But do they really work for, for people? Like I'm sure that everyone's got a little bit of uh, the specificity in the question that they need answered. So it's, it's that kind of personalization that you need coupled with, with proactiveness. And I think that's that's where the magic starts happening. Going back to the example, you know, it's it's not like we're giving a refund to everyone. It's to you specifically, Gregorio, that I'm giving the refund and I'm giving you the option. And, and you can choose different things for different people because the other backbone of the book, you know, with so much data available and with the state of data analytics, companies especially the data rich companies can actually know these things they can know that what's going to work for evo or for gregorio or for someone else it's it, it yeah
0: before we start discussing about it i think one thing it's it's also important that you are sharing in your book you share about personalization about proactivity but you are also sharing the, the idea of co-creation with customer yeah could you elaborate a bit on that
1: well, co-creation is indeed like uh, you don't you don't disengage. You're giving people a, to, I gave a very prosaic example, if I'm honest in the book, because I'm not a big on, I'm not big on cooking. So if I if I b- buy a product that that helps me cook, I am gonna need help with that. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I'm just gonna drop it. And, I, and I, as I mentioned, I'm also big on photography, for example. So I use Adobe's product for to, to manage my photos. And what these guys implemented recently is they have an AI which says, you know, they analyze the photo and then they suggest a couple of edits that other people have done. And that's super personalized. It's my photo. It's my specific photo. Uh, and it it, it 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 gives me ideas from from other customers. And I feel like Adobe is really co-creating this photo with me in a way because they're already giving me a suggestion that they're, they're teaching me how to do it. They have the tutorials and all that. And that, that I think is it's really important.
0: And what you're saying I really like, that's also a new feature that I know that there, there are apps that are doing that since a uh, long time. But on the iPhone now, the iPhone will tell you you shoot five pictures of the same subject. They're all similar. Which one do you want to keep? Because you don't need five very, very similar pictures. And I think this is also this co-creation that is telling me, pay attention, you, you did that, I can help you, let's, let's do that. And this, yeah. is, this can be done in a proactive way, way other, and then it's, it's, it's really great. Yeah, that, that
1: co-creation thing, basically how much of the work can actually be done by the company itself you know in a lot of ways or so how, how many suggestions or inspirations they can they can give you you know with with the smart devices for example i use my my watch also for running but but it also gives you advice for sleeping and all of these things so it's like it nudges you to take a walk so it's basically t- t- helping me take care of of my health and i think that's that's also co-creation it's co-creating my my well-being
0: uh, no i i really like it the same i i am using it and i am super happy that. Ten minutes before the hour, it tells me you need to stand up. At least then I'd stay during the last part of the meeting, and it remember me to, to stay fit and healthy. And and I think these are these are great great examples. Um, yeah. You shared already some example, but let, let's because I really like your passion. Could you please share your example of great customer experience? In the first case, as a customer then as as a CX specialist, and then as a managing director of of GEMSIC. Let's start with as a customer.
1: Um, As a customer, I think I've always been happy when when really a company, especially when I expect that something is going to go wrong, when it doesn't. It's like, because if I expect that everything is going to go smoothly and it goes smoothly, that's all well uh but when i have a problem and i'm like oh my god now i need to call them and it's gonna take me like seven calls and 11 emails and 24 hours to do it and when in reality i drop them an email and they say. We understand, you know. So let's. I, we're, I'm gonna fix it for you immediately. That's what really works. Uh, what works really well for me. And I think it's. I, I know that I gave a very, very broad example, but I've seen that in in restaurants, in the, some airlines as well, and all kind of places. You know, when I when I had a problem and they have solved it for me, that's what when it's when it's really powerful in in in
0: my view. And now let's take the lens of uh, C, Cx professional that that you are. <laughs>
1: As a, in terms of CX I have dozens of stories stories really from from our clients we this kind of proactive approach to to managing customer service for example it's it came it came about a couple of years ago when we were working with Liberty Global which is Virgin Media in the UK UPC in the rest of Europe in Switzerland as well um so what they, they had a close, they, they still have a closed loop program and it works really well for them but the problem is that it's, the, the scale isn't that big because they cannot survey everyone every month. Simply because people don't reply to surveys, not not everyone replies to surveys. So what we did with them for, is to to combine behavioral and transactional data with the survey data, uh, and we were able to predict which of their customers, which people from their customer base, are likely to be detractors. So they call them proactively. And that had a huge impact really on, on their retention, which as you as you very well known, is a huge problem in, in telco. So that I feel is a very good customer experience. You know, someone coming and telling you, How are you feeling? You know, is there anything wrong? Is there anything we can do and stuff like that? So that's that that I feel is a very good example. Also applied at scale, because it's one thing to do it with two customers, but it's a, quite a different thing if you if you do it with thousand thousands of them.
0: Not clear and and perhaps to have an example as managing director of Gemsic, perhaps not related to CX, but also an in inter, internal experience that you have at Gemsic because I know you are growing, you have a really great company, and I'm quite sure that you have great example also from your company.
1: I think it's a lot of the great examples that I have are. I think they're pointing quite in the same direction, really. Uh, in the, the worst cases in which we've been, I'm not going to say flexible necessarily, but I think it's more about really proactive uh, in, in, in in doing the job for for customers. We've had cases in which even before we have won the project, we have started working with the client on questionnaires and stuff like that and designing the study with them. And I think that that's really important because hey, oftentimes, the, basically, the bad experience is you know, in, in the market research or data analytics world or whatever it is, you know, we did this analysis, here is the report, best regards, you know. But that goes against what, what we've been discussing so far, because at the end of the day, the client, the moment that I send the, the report is the moment that the client is going to start working with it. And 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 I need to be there. And the good examples, uh, it's always been that we, we stay with the client after we have sent the report, you know, doing workshops with them, working with them to, to, to do further actions. And I think one very important point is kind of this meta-analytical level, sorry for the, the little bit technical term, but for some clients we do a lot of studies, like when you do 10 studies, 15 studies, I think it's, it's a good point to, to take a step back and see what, what all of these 15 studies are telling you and not every specific study. Because that's where you, you start learning about uh, a little bit more in-depth about what customers uh, want and where you stand on that.
0: I think that's that's ex- extremely interesting. But Now you shared several examples and I'm quite sure in your mind you have also the idea of the best, uh, the ideal profile of uh, a proactive company. Could you please share that with, with us?
1: I think the, the 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 ideal profile of practice companies. It could be any company really, uh, as long as it's got the the willingness to act. Because a lot of companies talk about how how customer centric they are, and I, I understand the the willingness, but sometimes they just can't act. You know, so the ideal company in that says it connects the dots internally. So that, you know, you don't have like five databases in which you store customer information. So basically, democratizing data within the company. um, You've got very quick decision making. You have empowered employees. And I think basically that's it. As long as you... As you give people access to to the data, as long as you understand what actions need to be done, and as long as you allow people to take these actions, trusting them to do these actions, as long as these things are in place, I think any company can be can be successful. Of course, it's much more difficult for bigger companies or old companies. And I and I see a lot see it a lot these days that kind of these Digital-first companies, companies that that were actually designed to work in a digital world, they're doing a much better job uh, in this simply because they're used to it. Uh, but it but it doesn't necessarily need to be the case. We also have a lot of B2B clients, old companies, you know, I, that I wouldn't necessarily imagine, like Heidelberg Cement, Heidelberg Materials these days. B2B company, you know, they do they do cement and they do aggregates. You know, it's it's not an it doesn't sound like an exciting business. But they have a very exciting uh, customer experience program. They won a couple of awards last, last year for that, and that's truly amazing. I think it's it's really this dedication to it because they they build a core team that actually spread the word and and the philosophy of being customer centric, and they were able to to act on it. And that's it. It's nothing like nothing unheard of. I
0: think. <laughs> But there is a long journey to to get there. I it think is. what 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 you are saying it, it's really interesting, and I hope that we convince the audience or the audience understand that it's really a great book, the new customer experience management. And I really suggest and I recommend to everybody to to buy this book because I'm quite sure you will learn something new. Now we are coming to an end of this game, but before we end the game, I still have one question, and it's. 10 years, uh, 10 years uh, time from now. We are on the CX Keeper podcast and we are discussing about customer experience. What is What are the topics that we are discussing?
1: That's a, the million-dollar question, eh? <laughs> um, I think 10 years from now... I think 10 years from now, companies will know a little bit better what their customers want and what they need. And they will be able to to know it without going and asking them. So in some ways they'll be using more like passive and behavioral data that is created by customers to understand their customers. So more about the behavioral data, I think. Or, or yeah or the or the integration between the two I think that's going to be really the the, the the big thing as long as you can integrate kind of this attitudinal data so what customers feel as long as you can integrate that with behavioral data what do they do I think that's where we'll be in 10 years hopefully sooner than that and I think that's gonna unlock really this this proactive element this element of personalization this element of co-creation if you will. Uh, So I think it's going to become this data collection wouldn't be a big thing in the future, I feel, simply because there is going to be a lot of data that can be collected. It's going to be more about having access to the data, managing the data, analyzing the data, and then from that, really acting on it. I think it's it's fundamental right now, and I think it's going to be fundamental for the foreseeable future, basically. (laughs)
0: Thank you very much, Ivo. We are coming to, to an end, and in the extra time, the last three, four minutes of uh, this uh, this discussion, this game, I still have three questions for you. The first one is, is there a book that you would like to suggest to the audience that helped you during your career or during your life?
1: Um, it's I'm, I'm, I'm going to change the question a little bit. Uh, but right now I'm reading uh, Leadership in Turbulent Times. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a biography book uh, by, give me a second, I need to find the name of the author, sorry about that, by Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's one an amazing writer, I think, and, and I think we can all learn about storytelling from her. So basically what she does is she's a, she's a biographer of American presidents. So what she's doing in this book, she's giving a kind of, not very short, but uh, relatively short biography of uh, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. And basically she's she's not comparing them directly, but she's kind of showcasing the approaches and the lives of these four people who all had the opportunity and the challenge to lead in very turbulent times, really. So both in terms of storytelling, how, how does she build the story and how does she manage to... Kind of draw the conclusions from from the very specific examples of Lincoln's life, for example. So, what it, how how does she manage to draw a conclusion? That's really amazing. Uh, and so, writing is one of the things. Yes, the way she the way she writes, uh, but also in terms of leadership, I think it's very critical because all four people they faced very different challenges. They had different upbringing. They lived in different situations, and they dealt with them in a different way. Uh, but they also have commonalities. For example, all of them went through a very difficult period in their life. For example, Franklin Delano Roosevelt got polio so he got paralyzed from the from the waist below. Uh, and, and all the rest also had some, something probably not not that um, not that challenging, but but a huge challenge. And I think he, they, they all went through kind of a couple of years in which they had to grow as leaders. You know, with, with the self-awareness and how to find motivation and how to find their purpose and so on. So that's kind of the common, the common element, I think, between them. And also the ambition to to do something. For some of them, it was ambition to do something with their own lives. For others, it was more like ambition to do something for the people, but it's, but it's that drive energy and, and all of that. So I, long story short, I think it's an amazing book on leadership. I think you can learn a lot about um, the storytelling from it as well.
0: Thank you. And what's the best way to contact you?
1: Uh, you can always ping me on LinkedIn or you can drop me a note on my, on my uh, GMC email address, evalo.yorgov uh, at But feel free to, to reach out on LinkedIn to chat. I would love to.
0: And you will find all this information also in the details of this, of this podcast. The most important thing that you didn't share, where we can find your book? Uh, it's on Amazon,
1: so you can find it on on Amazon.com. You can find it also on uh, on the website of the publisher on Routledge.com.
0: Thank you very much. And now it's really the last question: Is Evo's Golden Nugget? It's something that we discussed, or something new that you would leave to the audience?
1: I probably a little bit more of a in a less sophisticated nugget, but more like call to action or something that I remind myself often is really to bite the bullet to not forget to bite the bullet when 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 we need to, because that really enables us to, to act, I think. Because oftentimes we're like, is this gonna work? Is this not gonna work? Well, we don't really know if if a lot of things are gonna work. So sometimes you gotta just bite the bullet, and there is always plan B, there is always a, a way back. Um and you know, something that I kind of learned from again, Franklin Delano Roosevelt from the book that I mentioned, it's like above all, you know, do something. So you, you, you really got to gotta start trying to, a lot of, like, I'm basically advocating, I think, for a very entrepreneurial approach in which you, you start doing
0: things. Thank you very much. I think this is the best way to conclude this discussion. It's doing things, and therefore, please buy the book of Ivo, The New Customer Experience Management, Why and how the, how the Companies of the Future Address Their Customer Needs Proactively. It's a great book. Thank you very much, Ivo, for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Gregorio, for having me.
0: Ivo, please stay with me. To the audience, it's everything for this episode. We love feedback. Therefore, feel free to contact me or contact Ivo to have a discussion, to deep dive on the book or to to ask any question. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Thank you, Gregorio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it, share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you!